It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. <laughs> What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Sure, the Jets in prime time leads to some pretty ugly offense. On the other hand, it leads to some phenomenal, sad Robert Sala memes. So I think that's worthy enough reason to keep doing it and keep plumbing the Jets on prime time. Uh, We're going to talk through Monday Night Football, uh, dive into the mailbag a little bit, and look through Trevor Sikkima's new mock draft. But to do that, we need Trevor Sikkima himself in the flesh. And that's what we have here. How's it going, Trev? It's going good. I I think the worst slash best however you want to say it Robert Salamine from last night is him saying after the game that it wasn't even close to Zach Wilson's worst game which I think he was saying like (laughs) to try to help Zach Wilson out but it came out as one of the biggest insults that you could say about the man and so I actually kind of felt uh really bad about it but that was my favorite Robert Solomon. Don't worry, guys. I've seen way worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he was saying, he was trying to say, no, no, no. Zach actually played well, but the way it came out, it was like, oh, no. The uh, There's a certain, you know, the way, like, it's a difficult, intangible element of quarterback play to put your finger on, but some quarterbacks inspire confidence in the most ridiculous moments. You're, you just have belief in them, right? Whether you are a fan of the Patriots or a fan of the team the Patriots were playing, when Tom Brady got the ball in his hands with a couple of minutes to go, there was this inevitable feeling of confidence that he was going to get it done. Same with Joe Montana, right? Joe Cool. One of the, no matter how many interceptions Joe Montana had thrown to dig them into a hole, everybody who had confidence that he was going to bring them back and get the win. Zach Wilson, no matter how he's been playing, when he gets the ball late in the game, you know, with the chance to do something, Every time he drops back to pass, you're sort of like, it's just, you, you just cringe. It's not good. I was watching it with the, uh, the Manning cast, right? Mm-hmm. Peyton Manning visibly cringes every time Zach Wilson drops back to pass. I don't know how many games Peyton has had to do that were Jets games, but he's sick of it. <laughs> he hates it. Like, he just, you can tell his skin is crawling the whole time that he's got to watch a Zach Wilson performance. And I feel really bad saying that. By the way, you watched the Manning cast. So did I last night. So did you see the part when Arnold Schwarzenegger was on? Mm. And 
the fumble happened, but it happened while Arnold was still giving his answer, like yeah. about his book. So you right. couldn't really cut him off. And if you just go back and you watch Peyton's face during that time, he's like, they fumbled. I, I did. They just fumbled, and he, like he, he, like he wants to, he wants to just like rant about it and yeah. be really mad about it. But Arnold, their guest, is giving a answer about his book, so he can't say anything. And it was, uh, that was an A one Manning cast last night. Good. They were they were on one last night. That was funny. Yeah, Peyton's reactions to just anything are hilarious. <laughs> it was funny that Arnold, I it. <laughs> You know, a lot of the times when they have the guests on, the guests are given answers, and it's not, you know, they're not play-by-play or anything. But when something major happens, the guest tends to notice and be like, oh, look, uh, whatever. Arnold was just right. hip deep into the book answer, and it's like, I'm not deviating <laughs> from this. This is my plug. This is what I've committed for. I'm going, and I'm going to keep going until I'm finished. That man had a miniature and or baby donkey yeah. on the screen multiple times. Right. And it was at that moment you knew there was going to be no interruption of play-by-play which if was, the situation called for. It was never explained, by the way. It was just taken as normal that Arnold has a baby donkey with him on the screen. So, so he lives... I don't know if you saw the documentary because there's a documentary that came out on Netflix and it's just called Arnold and it's a three episode thing. It's, it goes through the different phases of his life, like bodybuilding, politics, all that stuff. And I watched it. And so I understand the context. He lives in a mansion that is on a farm. Okay. And what he does every day is he just wakes up, goes and feeds these wild animals that he has horses donkeys chickens like all that and so i was laughing hysterically because i knew where it come from came from but everybody else yeah. is like because this dude's just got a donkey in the house because if you What's don't if you haven't seen that you're just like huh arnold's got right. a miniature donkey with him okay cool and then on we go like we just you just carry on with the show and this is taken as a normal thing that we should all be cool with that's fine it's like when and mike I, tyson I, had a pet the, tiger or whatever and we're just like all right cool i guess mike's got a pet tiger there are very few people in the world that something like that can happen you know like mike having a tiger arnold having a donkey and mm-hmm. we all just go ha all yeah. right all right like like but that's it that's it you just kind of accept it and move on but arnold is one of those people, which made for, like I said, a great Manning cast. All right, before we get into the actual football analysis, we got to talk about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western... West, yeah. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Price subject underwriting and health questions. Whew. All right, Trev. Um, I guess, so 
you know, Zach Wilson's going to take the, the slings and arrows that come in his direction. There was a lot of sort of talk about, you know, this defense playing out of its mind. They were just trying to stay alive so that Aaron Rodgers could complete this improbable comeback and, you know, right. take them to the promised land. Is the elephant in the room not – it doesn't matter if he's back or not. This offensive line is so bad he can't survive even if he comes back. No, I actually don't I, – I, I don't think that way. I, I now the offensive line has been bad. Okay, like Billy Turner was bad at right tackle last night. The the injuries and everything have kind of decimated this offensive line. I'm not trying to say that the offensive line is good, but with how good this defense is for the New York Jets, this is a team that's competing for the one seed in the playoffs if he's healthy. I I, I fully believe that that's the case. I looked it up earlier this morning. These are the numbers on the Jets defense eight games into this season. They are first in PFF defensive overall grade. They are first in coverage grade as a team. Sixth in run defense grade as a team. Second in total pressures. Fourth in pass rush win percentage. Sixth in total EPA per play allowed. This group, top to bottom, all three layers, completely elite. It is one of the best defenses in the NFL. And even if you even if you give Aaron Rodgers, a fully healthy Aaron Rodgers, of course, not right. him... him Coming off of an Achilles injury as fast as he would need to to make a difference this season, it's kind of a different conversation. But if he never gets hurt, even if you give me the exact same offensive line performance that the Jets had last night, I think they probably win that game. Because there were plenty of moments where Zach Wilson had enough time to do something with the ball. And there were a handful of times where Zach Wilson did something good with the ball. Imagine how many more times that happens with Aaron Rodgers. Imagine how faster the ball comes out of his hands, where it goes exactly where it needs to go. You're completing drives. You're completing first downs. You're doing all that kinds of stuff. I, I really do believe that even with the Jets' offensive line woes, if Aaron Rodgers is this team's quarterback, they are in the conversation for the number one seed in the AFCs or in in the AFC because the defense is just that good. And that was. That was that was my takeaway from last night after watching that team. Man, I don't know. I, I agree with you. <clears throat> I think their defense is incredible. I mean, you look at some of the numbers from their pass rush last night. They are insane. I mean, they had, what, five sacks? Four of them came on just four-man rushes. I think the fifth was a three-man rush. They, yeah. Jermaine Johnson, who had, was, you know, first-round pick a year ago, the third first-round pick was – sort of underwhelming as a rookie, more of a, a, a run defender than a pass rusher. I mean, he's really kicked on this year, led the team in pressures with nine. John Franklin Myers had eight. Bryce Huff had seven. Quinnen Williams had six. And then you got Will McDonald getting two pressures, including a sack, on six pass rushing snaps. Solomon Thomas getting two pressures, including a sack, on seven pass rushing snaps. I mean, their pass rush is insane. It's only using the front, se- the front four. It's... It's a dominant defense, and on, on the back end, you've got DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner playing amazingly. I agree. It's an incredible defense, but you go to the other side of the ball and that offensive line, and Billy Turner gave up 10 pressures. That's insane. Hey, it was, wasn't a good night. Right. It was not a good night for him. Lakin Tomlinson gave up eight pressures. Max Mitchell gave up five. Mekhi Becton gave up five. Joe Tipman, the center, and centers tend not to give up pressure, gave up three. Like... 
I mean, okay, look, Aaron Rodgers lasted four snaps or whatever it was. It's difficult to get anything from that. But all of them, he was under pressure, right, in week one when they had a healthier offensive line. Sure, he was holding onto the ball. They were a quick game. It's not necessarily the offensive line's fault. But I feel like this offensive line is just is a terminal problem no matter who the quarterback is. Of course, Aaron Rodgers makes it look better than Zach Wilson. But I kind of feel that the, like, the, the sort of – the great hope that they've been pinning this season on is if we can just stay alive till like, you know, right. mid-December, right. Rodgers rides in on his white horse and saves everything. I, I can't see how that works at the moment. I think that's, yeah, I think it's kind of two different conversations between if Rodgers never got hurt and if Rodgers is going to come back within four months from tearing his Achilles. Like, I think that those are two different things because Rodgers never getting hurt deals with pressure in the offensive line in a different way than him being on like 1.5 legs, you know, even if he comes back sometime in December to try to save the season. So I do think that's a little bit different of a conversation, but I really, uh, again, I, I understand where the offensive line is at. It's not good, but Rogers takes what Wilson has been able to do and multiplies it by a lot because of who he is and because of who Zach Wilson has been. And so even with the bad offensive line play, I don't think it's, I'm not saying that they would be contenders to win the Super Bowl, but win enough regular season games to where they're earning a high seed in the playoffs, potentially even the number one overall seed because of how well that defensive played. And if Aaron Rodgers could play pretty risk averse, then I think that they win a lot of damn football games in this regular season. That's why the injury sucks. I don't think the offensive line is good enough to where once the Jets were to get in the playoffs, whether it was the one seed or wherever else, you're going up against too many teams that are going to frustrate you in too many different ways where it would have held them back from the ultimate goal. But this team's absolutely 100% a playoff team. They're hosting a playoff game if Aaron Rodgers never gets healthy. And I really do believe that even with the offensive line like I saw it last night. So let me ask you one more question before we talk about the Chargers a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The Jets, they played this quarterback thing slightly strangely this season because, okay, Rodgers goes down. You're stuck with Zach Wilson. There's very little you can do to fix that, right? We, you know, the, the talk was Kirk Cousins. The talk, like everyone had these sort of massive dreams of crazy things. But, like, Rodgers is still there. They expect him back, even if it's not this year, next year. You can't just go and get a new franchise quarterback midseason. You're kind of stuck with the situation you were. And yet it's clear to everybody that Zach Wilson is not going to be the guy there. He's probably not even going to be the guy that can keep this thing alive, you know, above water. And we just saw what happened when the Minnesota Vikings trade almost nothing to bring in Josh Dobbs within a week who goes out there and through scrambling and ad-libbing and just playing sandlot football, essentially, is able to win a game. Like, should the Jets have flipped a nothing pick to Arizona to bring in Josh Dobbs because that's a better option than Zach Wilson? Yeah, I think that the answer is yes, certainly in hindsight. I try to think about where the Jets were at when Rodgers got hurt, and not only were they shell-shocked, and I think that it is... It's all right to just to, to accept that and kind of let understand how shell-shocked they were going all in for Aaron Rodgers than him getting hurt on the fourth play of the game. I mean, 
I think that it was just a lot that they were trying to process during that time, especially since the season had immediately begun. Like, it's not like they had the opportunity to get the guy in there for a couple of training camp practices and things like that. They had their hands full on the offensive line anyway, so they knew that it was going to be a little bit of an uphill climb, even if it was Rodgers behind that O-line. So when I try to put myself in a realistic seat of what the Jets were thinking about, I wonder if they wanted to play Wilson this entire year no matter what because of two reasons one they did not want to allocate any other draft picks or cap space to the quarterback position which was normally a more costly one when it talk when you talk about bringing somebody from the outside in they didn't want to spend any more money in that regard because they didn't want to have to kick the, kick the can down the road anymore and i also wonder if they wanted to increase wilson's trade value like i wonder if they wanted him to play this year knowing that the defense is going to be good enough to win them a handful of games. And if Wilson played well, sure, maybe they make the playoffs as a wild card. I think that that probably would have been best case scenario. But even if they didn't, if they got around 500 at the end of the year, would Wilson have played well enough to next offseason, they say, hey, somebody give us a second round pick or a third round pick for this guy. And to me, maybe that was their plan because they were going to move on from him all along. And that has clearly backfired. And if you go out and you get another quarterback and you bench Zach Wilson at any point in time, all of that is gone. Like all of that is out the window. Like no one is giving any sort of real draft compensation for Zach Wilson at this point. And you are then going to have to eat the fact that you took him number two overall and you got absolutely nothing for him in return. So I wonder if that was kind of where their mindset was. They didn't want to spend any money because they already had a lot of their cap kind of tied up in this current winning window with Aaron Rodgers. So they didn't want to do that anyways. But I wonder if they also just wanted to try to prop up Wilson's trade value as much as possible to maybe at the end of the day be able to say, see, we drafted him at second overall. It didn't work out, but at least we got like a third round pick back for him. And that's not so bad. And we had the Rodgers window and everybody kind of forgets about it anyways. To your original question, though, are there better options? than Zach Wilson that were available for the Jets to go after? The answer is yes. That is just kind of my maybe devil's advocate trying to put myself in their shoes of why they didn't do that because it looks it looks bad now. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I I don't hate I, – I think they were in a tough – I mean, obviously they were in a tough spot, right? Rodgers goes down. That was the entire offseason was this project, the Aaron Rodgers thing. So I – they were screwed the moment that happened. I'm kind of right. fine with the idea of, look, we didn't want to do this, but Zach Wilson is our best option right now. I think it probably was. They they were in a similar spot. We talked about it. You couldn't – there was no magic bullet, no silver bullet here to fix all this. You just had to roll with it. Um, but I think there – you know, at some point between then and now, there was an obvious realization, and this kept coming up every week, like – Zach Wilson's not the guy, right? It's not going to work right. with him. Right. What are you going to do? And every step of the way, they've kind of been like, no, Zach, we're going to keep going with Zach. We're not bringing in competition. Like, we're not – Zach's the guy. But at some point, it's like, actually, because we're good enough. Like, we're good enough. To, even with Zach Wilson, we can skirt around 500 and be in the hunt if we just try and upgrade from him slightly, which doesn't mm. even cost that much money if you're – or you know, draft picks with the Josh Dobbs type of deal, we could potentially be even better than that and buy ourselves some breathing space and actually have a shot of this. I I feel like they've been so sort of stubbornly 
sticking with the Zach Wilson thing as if there were no other options and there was no possibility of upgrading that position. And it's potentially cost them the season because they may end up being one or two games off where they need to be. And the difference between those one or two games could be a Josh Dobbs over a Zach Wilson or whoever else might have been, you know, available. Yeah, clearly you look at it now and it's very easy to say they made the wrong choice. And right. maybe they made the wrong choice all along. Like I said, I'm I'm trying to put myself in their shoes of why they wouldn't have done this. Because you could say to yourself, well, maybe they didn't really know that Josh Dobbs was that available because Josh Dobbs had just been starting for the Cardinals. And he'd been, like, fine for the Cardinals. Maybe they didn't know he was available. Well, if you didn't do that, then you weren't paying attention. Like, then right. you weren't actually keeping your ears to the ground for what you could hear going on around the rest of the league. So that's not really a good excuse. The The only two realistic excuses that I can come up with are the scenario that I painted where they didn't want to spend any more money and they wanted to try to increase his trade value when it came to this offseason. Or maybe this guy looks really good in practice. And just when the games come on, he's just not good. And I don't know if that's the <laughs> case or not. But to me, those are the only two realistic defenses as to why you did not go out and bring anyone else in at this point because it's 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 hard to believe that there wasn't an upgrade and josh jobs is i don't want to act like the josh jobs thing was like oh yeah anybody could have had that it's 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 a special thing what josh jobs did this past weekend and i think that it should be recognized that so i don't want to say like Oh, yeah, if the Jets would have brought in any quarterback, they would have been able to do what Josh Dobbs did. But it is pretty shocking that they haven't tried harder to do that. So because they won, because Zach Wilson didn't play well, because the Jets' offense got nothing working, uh, and because their defense was outstanding, it's kind of going to fly under the radar that Justin Herbert had another not particularly good game and is now recording his worst ever PFF grade over a season. Right now he's at 74.4 for the year. That's down three grading points over last year, where, remember, he was playing with a busted rib for the majority of the year. So, mm-hmm. like, what is wrong with Justin Herbert right now? He's got a healthy rib, right? Yes. He, he's got a – if he busts the rib, then he – Oh, he you're saying that's better, what's right? wrong that with the, him? He's healthy? That was the, that was the correlation causation right. that I got right there. Right? He does that's have a what, busted finger. I mean, you know, he's he's not healthy. He's there's something wrong with him, right? <laughs> no, I, it's just I feel like it's just the, the, the Chargers overall right now. I, it's just not really taking that next step. And I don't know if it's pressure mounting on the coaching staff and the expectations and all this kinds of stuff. But it just doesn't look crisp. Like it just doesn't look clean. I, I think that losing Mike Williams obviously hurts. Uh, Quinn Johnson not being able to coming in and fill that role the way he needs to definitely hurts uh, relying on Keenan Allen as much as they do week in and week out, given his age and how much I think that his athleticism has just overall kind of declined. It's kind of crazy that he continues to be without question, the top option on this team. So I, it, it just feels like a group that overall across the board is not playing to its potential. And Herbert, is in on that. I'm not saying that he deserves all the blame. As we all know, quarterbacks get way too much of the praise. They get way too much of the blame. But it just feels as though this is an offense that is not clicking the way that it needs to. And the team has felt out of sync all year. When the offense is playing well, defense isn't playing well. When the defense is playing well, the offense isn't playing well. And it got him a win last night. 
against a putrid offense that they went up against. But you take away that special team score that they got early in the game, and not a ton of things went right, right. for the Chargers. So It's funny. You look at their passing, just the target numbers, much as Peyton Manning wants to eliminate targets as a stat. Um, Keenan Allen. Wait, does he? Yeah. He hates it. Why? He thinks it's the root cause of all wide receiver drama, essentially, is as soon as we start tracking how often the ball is going towards certain receivers, that's where every wide receiver now is focused on, where are my targets? Give me the ball. So Peyton Manning wants to eliminate targets as as a concept. Doesn't want to track it. When did we start tracking targets? I don't know. Because I feel like I've, I feel like wide receivers have been demanding that you get the ball in their hands oh, before have. we started tracking yes. targets. Right. I mean, I, I, this is very. I don't know that there were available, readily available target numbers before PFF existed. So, probably the early two thousands. I'm gonna look it up. Okay. Um, anyway, getting back to where I was going, Keenan Allen had nine targets. Nobody else had more than five, and that was Austin Eckler. And then after Eckler, right. Quentin Johnson had three, and then there's a bunch of people with two or one. I mean, this was an offense that was like, get Keenan Allen the ball. If Keenan's not open, we're going to dump it off right. to Eckler. And if neither of those two things is happening, we're dead. The, the, the play is done. Like, we're, we're toast. That's not going to work. I agree completely. And I, I think this stinks for Quinn Johnson because this this should have been his opportunity, right? There's too many other really good young receivers around the NFL who are able to contribute when their number has been called in their rookie season. And not just this year, like it's it's every single year. When you get picked in the first round, okay. Yeah, not every player is the same. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Like, sometimes guys just take a little bit longer. You know, sometimes they're year two, year three breakout candidates. But receiver, it gets particularly hard because there are so many examples of receivers who are able to play really well early on in their NFL careers that it's tough to see Johnston not only not kind of crack the lineup more than you wanted to at the beginning of the year, but now there are targets to be had. Like now there is a major opportunity. There is a void that needs to be filled and it feels like they're just not going his way. And I think I was on this show. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before I watched a lot of Quinn Johnson snaps. I went back and I watched it because I was like, man, why aren't they getting this guy the ball? He's playing fine. Like he's, I think he's playing fine. They just don't really trust him. Like, there's not a lot of plays that are designed for him. Right. The ones that are are pretty simple stuff. Like it's drag concepts. It's it, it's things that are very easy to get the ball in his hands. When he is running those vertical routes, it's very clear that they just don't want to look his way or don't make him a primary. And I wonder if that's because he's not having a lot of success in those areas in practice. And so, okay, he's running these routes. And I think that, all right, maybe he's running it with good speed. He's getting leverage. He's even with a player. You can go throw them the ball. You can give him a 50-50 chance. But – there's just not a lot of that in the offense. So yeah. I wonder why that's the case. I mean, I will say, you know, yesterday in particular, the, the the Jets were basically matching him up one-on-one with Sauce Gardner, at which point, I mean, it makes sense that he's not going to get much joy, right? Like Gardner is not only one of the best corners in the NFL, but is also the exact 
perfect body type to shut down a receiver like Quentin Correct. Johnson. Like, Correct. if you were building a, a corner in a lab to stop Quentin Johnston, it would look like Sauce Gardner. And You're right. the Jets You're already right. have one of those, so they just deployed him on Johnston and said, game over. And, you know, I think the very first – was it the first pass or one of the first uh, passing plays of the game for the Chargers was like a shot at Sauce Gardner, you know, Quentin Johnston – no shot, like blanketed, shut down, right. sauce breaks it up, and you're like, all right, that's probably <laughs> probably not do too much of that for the rest of the game, and they didn't. Um, the other thing, so as much as the Jets' pass rush is amazing, correspondingly the Chargers' offensive line kind of got its ass kicked. I can't remember too many games where Ishan Slater has given up eight pressures. Uh, but on the other side that- of the ball – I just want to say before we get to the other side of the ball, that play that you referenced earlier where Jermaine Johnson got the sack on a three-man rush, Mm. he got – he. I think he did get that full sack. But if you go watch that play, Bryce Huff goes straight into Rayshon Slater's chest and sled pushes him back three full yards. Yeah. Like that is a – that was a catalyst for that sack because I was – when I saw that play, I was like, that can't be Rayshon Slater. Somebody else has got to be in the game. And – it was. I was so yeah. That the Chargers offensive line also did not play well, but no. the Jets defense. Yeah, I mean the Jets defensive line absolutely destroyed them. But we'd been kind of critical of the Chargers defensive pass rush for a while, mm-hmm. and they really showed up. I mean Khalil Mack had nine pressures. Uh, Joey Bosa had another phenomenal game. Um, Tuli Tui Peloto had a great game. They had a bunch of other guys get chip in with four or five pressures as well. Like both pass rushes were amazing. Obviously, the difference being that. The Chargers' pass rush was going up against this bad Jets offensive line, so it made more sense for that to happen. Yeah, but you—I mean—you got to see it from Bosa, right? I think you and I have talked about it before on this show that Bosa looked like a shell of himself, right, um, through the first half of the season. And last two weeks, uh, he's had five total pressures, six total pressures, twenty-three point eight pass rush win percentage, twenty-five percent pass rush win percentage. So. Um, yeah, I, you're going up against two of the lower-tier offensive lines in the NFL, in the Bears and the Jets, in those back-to-back weeks. He's been playing well. But the sign of a guy being truly cooked is when you have those matchups and you can't perform that way. So at least Bose is showing that he is not completely cooked because when those favorable opportunities are showing up, he is capitalizing on that. Now, you want to see him as what we've believed for a while is one of the better long pass rushes in the NFL. You got to do it against some of the better offensive tackles in the NFL. So that's kind of to be seen, but at least it's nice to see him dominate the teams that he should dominate. All right. This show is brought to you by prize picks. I checked in with our guy, Zach, Zach Tantillo ZT before the show to find out how the prize picks did over the weekend. Now Zach has a, I would say an unhealthy obsession with kicker prop, you know, props, kicker, uh, numbers featuring on the price picks or anywhere else. And ironically, the one pick that he got correct was Young Wei Koo over one and a half field goals. The other three all crapped out, which was a particularly bad beat when you focus when you factor one of them being Lamar Jackson over one and a half touchdowns. The Ravens scored 37 points and somehow Lamar didn't get them. So that's unfortunate. Um, nevertheless, uh, with the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. That'll increase 
the sheer breadth of craziness that ZT can come up with with these prize picks. A league created specifically <laughs> for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made and receptions. Uh, Want to play alongside some of Price Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. Price Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to pricepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL. And use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL. And use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Trev, we got an email in um, from a listener called Andrew Hansen, which is, he was asking about something we talked about last week sometime, um, which is, this current landscape in the NFL of, you know, offense is down, scoring is down, but efficiency is a little bit up. This sort of world of more too high coverage shells and taking away the explosive plays and forcing offenses to play a different way. And I, I was kind of wondering, have we hit the tipping point that people have been waiting for for a few years for offense to basically pivot back towards power, ground-based football i formations fullbacks power runners focus on run blocking mauling offensive linemen up front stick with you know dual threat quarterbacks like josh dobbs because they can offset some pass protection concerns but basically a a full pivot you know we've been this has been a narrative for a few years right somebody's going to do it it's going to be belichick belichick's going to zig when everybody's zagging go to this power ground game and nobody's really committed to it is this like the statistical canary in the coal mine saying it's time? Now's the time. I think that this year has definitely been a tipping of the scale back to defenses, right? I think you've got a lot of really great defenses and a lot of really great defensive minds who are really slowing down these potent offenses. I know we had a team scored 70 points this year, so it's kind right. of funny to, to talk about it like that. But I do feel as though, like you mentioned, overall, offenses are not nearly lighting up the scoreboard, or I should say offenses are not making defenses look nearly as helpless as they have over the last couple of years. And so I think things are going more towards defense right now. Defense coordinators are figuring things out. They're really frustrating a lot of these quarterbacks. And I don't know if this is like the moment where because football, people talk about it all the time. It's cyclical, right? Okay, okay, you're, you're spreading it out one phase, but then once it gets to, what you mentioned, a tipping point, then you're going to start to condense things a little bit more. You're going to go more towards the ground game, power. You're going to dominate people up front. So I don't know how much we're going to fully swing back in that direction, but I feel like a lot of the better teams in the NFL right now are those teams that have those dominant, powerful offensive lines. They're able to salt the game away, really have a lot of success on the ground. Like Cleveland was one of those teams, certainly when Nick Chubb was healthy. The Eagles are certainly one of those teams. You know, like these are powerful offensive lines who, yes, 
the pass game is still the most important, but it feels as though that complementary part of the power run game specifically is becoming more valuable. Not that it never existed. I think complementary football has always been a thing, but the best coaches will tell you all the time, complementary football doesn't mean you have as many rushing attempts as you had passing attempts in the game. Complementary football means whatever ratio that is that allows you to truly keep a defense on its heels and put as many points as you can on the scoreboard. Like That is what balance of an offense is. So maybe we are getting towards that point where true complementary football is more of that power run game you know it's throwing that th- that in there more and and i think some of the teams in the nfl who already have those established offensive lines that allow them to do that are some of the ones that are having the most efficient offensive success yeah i i do think that you know the we tend to view the nfl and football as cyclical and you know things come and go and they come back in a vogue and, and it sort of goes around a big circle but it never comes back exactly the same. Like there is evolution to this and every step of the way we learn a little bit from the last time around and it develops and it doesn't come back quite the same as it was. And I think the, the thing that, that NFL teams have learned about that power run game, and you don't need to go back very far to find it. Like if you start looking at one of the great things about YouTube is that all games are everywhere now. And it's not just actually the more recent you get obviously the more available the tape is so if you just look at like early 2000s games which doesn't feel that long ago because we kind of lived through it but it's 20 years ago now those games are like a different world they are i formation fullbacks Mm -hmm. blocking tight ends it's all this stuff we're talking about but what teams have learned about that type of football is the problem it has is you just crowd the line of scrimmage with too many bodies. And it doesn't even matter if you're winning, if you're generating movement. Just the fact that there's that many bodies right there is the limiting factor here. Whereas <clears throat> the running success now is more about spreading, pe- spreading defenses out, creating the right. space simply through alignment and taking mm-hmm. advantage of that with fast, explosive running backs. Like if we pivot back to this world of heavy formations, you know, 22 personnel, um, we're in the same problem. Like, we've just we've just stuffed up the line of scrimmage with bodies, even if we're winning. Even if we are better at this than the defense, we're only getting four or five yards a clip, and we're not getting these explosive run plays because there's too many people in the way. So I feel like there might be a move back in the direction of some more fundamental power football but i i don't think we're going all the way back to that type of play because it it, there's a reason that we've gone away from it yeah i i agree completely i mean that's that's the right mindset I, i think the game of football has evolved right and even though there is a cycle of kind of how it is played you don't devolve you know like you don't go back like totally to the way that things were you know even when even when you look at the early 2000s version of football, running the football there was a different look than football in the 60s, right? Or, you know, just like wing T offenses or triple option offenses. Like, it was different than that because every phase of the game, sure, it goes through these seasons and cycles, but it evolves every time. 
And we're at a point to where the game is much more thinner of bodies in the box than it has ever been before. And so that is not something that I think we are going to totally revert back to. Yes, the best teams right now are the ones that are going to be able to find the way to incorporate power into those lighter boxes while still creating those lighter boxes by spreading the game out in the passing game and being able to be versatile there. And that's why best offensive coordinators figure it out and the best defense coordinators figure it out. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, the people are here for your mock draft, Trev, so I think it's finally time we give them it. But first, it's, we have to cue dramatic music, I'm told. Then we have a public service announcement. So do we have dramatic music? I think if you just, I think if you, I think if you go with it, we will get the dramatic music. Perhaps I, it's, it felt like a sort of you know breaking news type of dramatic music. But anyway, oh, oh, okay. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, <gasps> our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. We're talking about a next-generation trimmer with an interchangeable blade head for whatever shave your mind can imagine. AI is cool, but I think this might be the biggest technological advancement the world has ever seen. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. High-tech for low places, Manscaped. Every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. Inside this package, you'll find the star of the show, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Fifth-generation trimmer features two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top, and a foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. We also have dual LED spotlights to provide contrast on multiple skin tones, three-length setting combs, and oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof. No more wet shaving down there, count me in. Taking it on the go, Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering and or weird looks in the airport. You know, above and beyond whatever weird looks you normally get. This right here is on the cutting edge of cutting pubes. Upgrade your ball trimmer and your life will follow. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship. Get yours today from our folks at Manscaped. Goddamn, I love that read. All right, Trev. Just one of the best in the business. It really is. Mock draft. Um, I mean, let's start with, start with the top. You okay. have kept Caleb Williams number one despite uh, some collapsing of his game, despite some losses, and despite people being upset that he cried on the field with his mother. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have. I, I, I've kept <laughs> Caleb Williams at number one. Look, I, 
he's he's obviously had uh, a year this year where he has not looked like the invincible Superman that he was in previous seasons. But he struggled in the middle of the year. Uh, he had three games where he had zero big time throws and eight turnover worthy plays in a three game stretch. And like that was not good, objectively, not good football. But he has since played better. He's since bounced back. He has in the last three games, 11 big time throws and only three turnover worthy plays. And I think people did on they they got a glimpse into what might be a reason why Caleb Williams has developed what we would identify as bad habits, holding on to the ball too long, having this Superman type of stigma about him that he he has to make the biggest play every single time? Because he kind of does, right? <laughs> Do you watch USC's defense this past Saturday? Caleb Williams basically understood that if I don't get points on every single drive, mostly touchdowns, but some I can maybe settle for a field goal once or twice, we are losing this football game. Our defense is so horrendous that if I don't score every single time, we will not win. And that is the reality of the situation that he's in. Are the holding on to the ball habits still bad? Yes, it's something that he has to figure out. Last two years, he has held on to the ball, and I said this on this, this very show. He has held on the, onto the ball for longer than 3.2 seconds in back-to-back seasons. Nobody in the NFL has success doing that. Nobody. So that objectively has to get better. But... This was last week, so it was before this weekend's performances. I went back and I watched Drake May's last two games and Caleb Williams' last two games. I still came away saying I'd take Caleb. I would take Caleb. And the reason why I wanted to watch his last two games, both of these players' last two games, is because they're both phenomenal. But I think the conversation around these two quarterbacks is a little bit off right now. Or at least I just want to remind people that you don't want it to get to this point. It is not like oh, I either take the risk with Caleb Williams or I pick the surefire is going to be good no matter what makes every single throw Drake may. That's not where we're at. Drake himself is somebody who has some boneheaded throws, just straight up misses on ball placement sometimes. Sometimes the the, the footwork is not exactly what it needs to be. Does Drake have a a lot of really great plays? Of course he does. He leads the FBS in big-time throws, and this might be the second year where he has done that or at least been top five in that category. So we know what the guy can do from a ceiling perspective, but the conversation is not, oh, the risk of Caleb Williams or the absolutely perfect Drake may. Neither of these guys are perfect. In fact, Caleb Williams has the more egregious mistakes where you almost used to say, hey, buddy, don't throw it into triple coverage. And you go, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I won't do that anymore. Now, I know it's a process, and that mindset might be something that's really difficult to change in the NFL. But ultimately, when I watch these two guys back-to-back, they have very high ceilings. But Caleb still does things that very few quarterbacks, not just in college football, but on the planet right now, do. And that is something that you got to gravitate towards. You want to be able to hit the home run at number one overall. And I'd, I'd still take Caleb Williams right now. So number two, you've gone with Drake May. That, I mean, that's the, that's going to be the popular uh, approach to mock drafts. It's probably going to be the same order, though I think that that's going to be a debate now more than it was at the start of this, uh, at the start of this whole process. Like which one of those guys is going to go number one overall. If you're watching on YouTube, the mock draft that we're using right there, that's PFF's mock draft simulator, go to pff.com forward slash mock and mock away to your heart's content, particularly if you're following a team that has, you know, high draft picks right now and no real investment in the rest of the season. And if you're not watching on YouTube, go mock draft anyway, pff.com forward slash mock and then number three 
you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., the first non-quarterback off the board, and a guy being talked about as, you know, the best wide receiver to come along since whoever you want to talk about, right? The the word generational is used too often and too freely, so let's continue to that, that trend here. He's being talked about as a generational wide receiver. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Uh, I think people are are fighting against the term generational because of how bad Caleb Williams had played at the at the middle part of the season. But then when they have to talk about Marvin Harrison Jr., it's basically the first word that comes to their mouth because I don't know what this guy does poorly. I, I don't I, I don't know what he does poorly. There, there's basically every single part of his game to the footwork, to the releases, how he attacks defenses, his hand, the catch radius, spectacular catchability, um, in and out of his breaks, the size that you would want, the long speed, yards after catchability, which we're seeing him have more of this year because they're actually giving him the opportunity to do that. Last year, he dominated from the sideline. This year, they're getting him in space even more. I, I, I don't know what he does poorly. And when I say that, People go, oh, wow, so he's the perfect player every single play? No, of course not. But when you talk about what you could possibly want from a wide receiver prospect, basically the only other thing that you would want from this guy is to be maybe two inches taller, maybe 20 pounds, 30 pounds heavier, and just call him Calvin Johnson. That's about it. That's that's that, Those are the only real what else you might want from him is to basically say, well, I, I, you know, he's not Calvin Johnson. And that's basically the only negative that you have about this guy, which is pretty incredible. Um, so, yeah, the, the first three picks in this mock draft are very, very easy for me. Um, I don't want to gloss over it. I actually did have a trade at number one. So yeah, it wasn't I, I the Cardinals know. I was who gonna, I had picking at one. It was the Giants. I so. was going to bring that up. I, I noticed oh, that okay. we missed that. Um, yeah, like the one wrinkle or the biggest wrinkle in these these first few picks is you have the Giants trading up with Arizona to grab that number one pick and get their new franchise quarterback. I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be in the conversation to trade up because as I did this mock draft, it's funny, I, I say to myself, you know, oh man, this team might not like this pick and um, that doesn't influence me too much when I'm doing mock drafts, but there's a lot of teams that would want quarterbacks but there's a lot of teams who would basically only want Caleb Williams or Drake May, and those guys are going one, two. I would tell you that there's probably like eight or nine teams right now who have quarterback needs who all really want those two quarterbacks. And anybody out there at home who's not good at math, if you only have two players and you have nine teams that want two of them, seven of them are going to be disappointed. So I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are gunning for one of those first two overall picks. And Arizona has the opportunity to really continue to set themselves up very well in future drafts as they build this team out. So the Giants are currently picking number four overall. I think it would be very alluring for the Cardinals to move back just three spots, knowing that they could get a really, really good offensive lineman at number four, no matter what. And they could get a future first round pick, probably a handful of future or uh, current this year day two picks as well. And that's the move that I think the Cardinals should make. Yeah, unless Card- unless Kyler Murray just looks absolutely awful and he wants out of Arizona at the end of the offseason. Right. They have been more competitive than I thought that they were going to be this year. And to me, you look at what Kyler Murray has been, dude, he was playing at an MVP level like a year ago. And that to me is worth it because for as great as Caleb Williams and Drake May are, neither of them have played a snap in the NFL. Kyler Murray has. And he's done so at a very, very high level. You've got him under contract. 
you have the opportunity to move back a couple of spots, still get a really great player that you wanted a premium position, pick again in the first round this year, have two first round picks next year, have two second round picks this upcoming year. That's the dream for Monty Oson for. And then, of course, for the New York Giants side of things, Daniel Jones already was not playing well when he was healthy. Now he tears his ACL. You don't know exactly what his status is going to be going into next year. They have to have him under contract for next year because he's not really cuttable or movable. But after 2024, you can move on from him in that contract. It was essentially just a two-year deal. And if the team is already going to kind of reset the way that it looks like they need to on offense, if you got an opportunity to go get one of these two quarterbacks, I don't think you let one year of Daniel Jones' contract get in the way of you doing that. Yeah, I think that trade for Arizona would be fascinating because they've got two first-round picks this year anyway. The trade would net them all, you know, almost certainly a first-round pick next year in addition to their own one next year. Like They are setting right. themselves up really well for a bunch of high-level uh, draft picks over the next couple of years, and they're in, un- in, in an unusual position for teams that would be doing that because theoretically they already have their quarterback, right? Most of the re- most of the teams that are in that position <clears throat> are picking really high in the draft, and they don't have a quarterback, or you know, have one that you've you've even vaguely seen high end play from. It's a Justin Fields type of situation, right? Exactly, right. Whereas Kyler Murray has shown that he can be a really high end NFL quarterback, albeit in a different offense with a different uh, group of people surrounding him. Like they they have at least, and you would assume they're only doing that if they've seen enough from Murray the second half of the season to convince them that he's still the guy. So, yeah, that would be a really interesting dynamic for the top of this draft. Let's fire through the next, uh, like the top 10. Um, after that pick, Arizona picking a four with Olu Fashnu. Uh, mm-hmm. Number five, New England Patriots select Joe Alt from Notre Dame, tackle we talked about a few weeks ago. Number six, the Los Angeles Rams grab Bo Nix from Oregon, quarterback. Uh, number seven, Green Bay select uh your guy offensive fuaga yes offensive tackle from oregon state talise fuaga uh number eight tampa bay buccaneers select Laitu latu the ucla edge rusher and number nine denver broncos malik neighbors the lsu wide receiver and then number 10 tennessee titans rounding it out the top 10 offensive tackle jc latham from alabama mm-hmm. yeah the one i think that's I had the most hesitation with was the Denver Broncos pick because not that I don't think that they could use Malik neighbors. I love Malik neighbors a lot. He's a top 10 player on my board. I think that he would immediately be wide receiver one for Denver and he would be a great asset for them. I don't know if Sean Payton would do it. Like you go back through his drafting history when he was with the new Orleans saints and they just really didn't draft wide receivers very high, especially that high. I mean, his draft history tells you it's either going to be a trench player or it's prob- or a corner. He's kind of made that exception for a couple of times. When they picked wide receiver in the first round, a lot of times it's been back end of the first round players. So that's when that kind of conversation comes into play. So I think about edge rusher for them, probably. I think Peyton would lean that way a little bit, but I just, it, neighbors impacts this offense so much. So I ended up going with neighbors. There's a lot of other teams that I mentioned that would want quarterbacks that if they don't get Drake May or Caleb Williams, you have to start to realistically think about other options. New England is one of those teams. Green Bay is one of those teams. And Tampa is also one of those teams as well. So with those with those um, teams that were picking where they were, 
love Joe all to the Patriots. They have to get better along the offensive line. I think that Bill, if he is still the court, if he's still the coach of the New England Patriots, he's not going to want to reset it with a quarterback that's not one of those two guys at the top. He's going to go for a veteran. He's going to try to get a veteran in there. I don't think he wants to go through the growing pains of another young quarterback. It can't be one of those top two. So they got to invest in the offensive line. I think the Packers are kind of the same way. If they don't get one of those two guys at the top, they're probably going to roll with Jordan Love again. You got to get the offensive line to be better. Fuaga, I think, is the way that you do that. And then the Bucs, you know, I think there's a lot of names on the Bucs defensive line, but they are bottom 10 in the NFL in sacks, pressures, and pass rush win percentage from just defensive linemen. They're bottom 10 in the NFL in all those categories. Vita Vea, obviously great. You're fine with him being one of those interior spots. And I think Kalaji Kansi's playing really, really well. The problem is that there's no consistent edge rush play outside of maybe Shaq Barrett, and that's even a maybe with him coming back from injury. So they've got to get better along the defensive line. Latu is the best man for the job. And then finally, just rounding it out with the uh, with the Tennessee Titans, we all saw it on Thursday Night Football last week. The offensive line just has to get better. Even when it's fully healthy, the talent is not there for them. Latham's a massive six foot six, 360-pound offensive lineman, absolute people mover in the run game, moves way better, more fluidly, more smoothly than you would think for a player of his size. He'd be an immediate starter at either right or left tackle. Plays right tackle for Alabama right now, so he could step into that spot right away. But either way, he'd be an immediate starter for a Titans offensive line that really needs it. Oh, and then Knicks. Nick's I just love because yeah. Stafford, we've already heard retirement rumors. He's been beat up over the last two years. And because I think Bo Nix would be sick with Sean McVay as his head coach and Cooper Cup and, Poop, uh, and uh, Puka Nakua to throw to. So, uh, yeah, that one's maybe a little bit of a selfish one because I love the landing spot. But, yeah, that's the explanation for those. Yeah, I want to um, focus a little bit on where the other quarterbacks in this first round go. Obviously, Bo Nix, mm-hmm. you just did there. Uh, number 12, you've got Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback, going to the Atlanta Falcons. That sounds fun to me. Uh, yeah. And then the only other quarterback in the first round, am I right in saying that, is uh, J.J. Uh, McCarthy going to yeah. the San Francisco 49ers at number 26. Yeah, in all honesty, um, I probably should have had him going to the Vikings who pick at 21. I was locked into a defensive need for the Vikings, and I actually really love Nate Wiggins, who I gave them in this mock draft. But afterwards, uh, Vikings people were tweeting at me, and they're like, why didn't the Vikings go McCarthy? And I was like, you know what? (laughs) Yeah, probably. Well, probably. I'm more interested. Okay, look, weird things happen in draft. Sometimes a guy doesn't get taken where, he, no, where course, everybody assumes he's going to get taken. I love, I love the Wiggins pick anyways. That doesn't make the right. Wiggins pick any less. But they probably would have taken a quarterback. I For J.J. to go to the Niners, and I said this in my little blurb, if they're picking where they're currently picking in the draft, I think it's like 29th or something, they're obviously going to roll with Brock Purdy. They're, 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 they're not going to take a quarterback. I don't think it's possible. But... Over the last couple of weeks, Brock Birdie hasn't been this okay, unquestioned goat, future goat quarterback that maybe some people thought he was when he, the uh, the record was more undefeated. So if San Francisco ends up having another disappointing year and they're picking a little bit higher in this in the twenties, taking a chance and swinging for the ceiling, you know, if if you believe that that's a reason why it might be holding you back. McCarthy's got all the arm talent in the world. I just think that his processing needs to get a lot better. Now, who McCarthy is as a prospect and where he could go will change a lot over the next three weeks. Michigan has 
Penn State this weekend, then Maryland, then Ohio State, and then, of course, you know, Big Ten Championship, college football playoff, which we assume that they get there unless the NCAA suspends them for all the sign-stealing stuff. But McCarthy, to me, is either going to turn himself into a day-two quarterback or he's going to turn himself into like a top-five quarterback. Like he's going to be QB3 off the board in a couple of weeks. So that's the biggest conversation piece. And right now he was still on the board because I'm a little bit lower on him because I think the processing is still a big work in progress for him. Um, so that's why I'm a little bit lower. I'm much more comfortable with him at the back end of the first round and a team like the Niners maybe taking a chance on him. Okay, so the logic with Brock Purdy is essentially that the higher the 49ers are picking in the first round, the more likely it is that they're giving up on Brock Purdy because he's the reason they're picking that high in the first place. Right. And the flip side of that is true. Like the lower down they're picking, the less likely they're picking a quarterback because the bigger the chance is that Brock Purdy's bounced back and looked amazing again. Right. Exactly. Yes. All right. That makes sense. Um, talk to me about Michael Penix in Atlanta, because that sounds like an incredibly fun combination. Yeah. So Penix, anybody who's watched a Washington football game this year knows that this dude's got a live arm. I mean, he has got arm talent for days. He's got an absolute howitzer. He had it back at Indiana as well. That's why he was able to almost upset Ohio State many, many years ago when he was the starting quarterback there. He's been through a couple of really bad injuries since. You know, he's had multiple ACL tears, and I think that will go into it. I don't know if his medicals will allow him to go this high in the draft, but he's a Heisman Trophy finalist right now because of where he has that Washington offense, and um, he's a big reason why. I, I know that they got stud wide receivers. You know, Jalen Polk is turning himself into a potential first round wide receiver. Romo Dunze has been a longtime first round wide receiver, so those guys are well established. But Penix is delivering those guys the ball and giving them a chance to make massive plays. So. The big issue, I think, with Penix is there are some times when ball placement for him, because you can look at raw accuracy numbers, and he's got some good raw accuracy numbers, and he's got some good adjusted completion percentage numbers as well. But it's that true ball placement part of his scouting report that you go, okay, it can be a little shaky at times. But Penix is somebody who, right now, it is not, it is not as consistent as you want where he marries the footwork and the lower body mechanics with where he's throwing. And I think people point to that and they say, okay, this is kind of a detractor of why you maybe wouldn't love him as a prospect. But to me, I think, wow, you already see a guy with great arm talent, certainly can really zip it in there with tons of velocity on throws, can hit those distance plays. The ball placement has been elite at times, especially when he's throwing that fastball, like you and I have talked before on this show, when he's got to incorporate the touch, that's where we get in trouble a little bit. But if you get him with a great quarterback coach when he gets in the NFL and you really start to fuse that footwork with those upper body mechanics, to me, that tells you that there is more left in the tank to believe his ball placement will get better. And so if that is the case, we are talking about a quarterback, in my opinion, who is worthy of the first round because of the ability that he brings to stretch the defense at all times and I think that you getting him in an offense with Drake London and with Kyle Pitts and with B. John Robinson out of the backfield and I'm sure they'll add other wide receiver talent as well that is a pretty potent offense that uh, that I'd be a fan to watch of with Michael Penix back there and he's still more than athletic enough for them to use the quarterback as you know part of the design running game what was a big part of the offense when Marcus Mariota was the quarterback what's still a significant part of it when Desmond Ritter was the quarterback who knows what it will be with Taylor Heineke, but like keeping 
just that element of just enough athleticism for the quarterback to still be a part of the design running game for Atlanta, I think, is an important element for them. And if they want that, to be honest, Penix probably from his injuries, he's much more of a pocket passer than what he was at Indiana. Right. There are other quarterbacks who, if that is more of their priority, Bo Nix is somebody I think who would check that box for them big time. Um, Jaden Daniels from LSU. I don't think that he's a first round pick, but man, he's having a hell of a year and he has gotten better and better every single season that he has played college football. He would kind of come into play if they were picking somewhere um, the early parts of day two. I think that he could be in that consideration there. So there's a handful of other quarterbacks, you know, maybe like a Riley Leonard as well. Uh, although I don't think that Riley is putting himself in first round pick conversation like we thought that he might during the summer. There are quarterbacks who you would have a little bit higher than Penix for that dual threat ability if that's something that you're prioritizing. But to me, what he does is a big-time thrower right. because he is he is second right now only to Drake May in big-time throws in college football. If that is what you are looking for in that offense, he definitely gives you that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you know he's this Justin Fields-type uh, quarterback where you want to be building a run game off him, but like, there's just enough of a threat there to keep mm-hmm. that element in the offense, right? That you're not dumping the entire thing and going to a completely different style. Like Ritter. I mean, Ritter is not – there's a massive difference between Ritter and Mariota in terms of rushing threat and what he can do on the ground, but Ritter is just athletic enough that you can keep it in there as, as part of the offense, and it's a threat, a live threat that a defense has to respect, even if you don't mm-hmm. deploy it every, uh, you know, every few plays. I think Penix is the same type where – there's enough there to at least keep it as a life threat that a defense has to respect at all times. Um, let's. Where else do you want to go in this first round? Let's pull out a few highlights, and then people can go and uh, read the full article on PFF.com. Um, oh, that's a good question. Okay, so where do I want to go here? Uh, Buffalo, I have them going with Keon Coleman, the wide receiver out of Florida State. Nice. I know that they're getting Don, Dalton Kincaid more involved in the offense, but – the offense is just not good enough right now. They, they don't have they don't have the playmakers outside of Stephon Diggs, and that's becoming clear as this season goes on. They, to me, need to invest in wide receiver pretty big time. Um, and so I think that that is that is one that that I continually go to. Where Jerzon Newton, Johnny Newton from Illinois, goes in this draft is going to be really interesting because right now I would tell you that he's. Right now, I would tell you that he's probably the only first-round interior defensive lineman. I know that uh, Steve really loved Leonard Taylor from Miami and what he was able to do as a pass rusher last last year, and I absolutely did as well. And there have been certainly times this season where the flashes have looked great for Leonard Taylor, but he is really just flashes right now. He is he is sort of a boomer bust player, and I think that that could still get drafted in the first round, but it's not a guarantee. Newton might there Newton might be the only first round interior defensive lineman. And if that's the case, teams like the Raiders, teams like the Chargers, kind of in that middle of the first round, like that would be dying to get this guy in the middle of their defense. They might be fighting for fighting over him a little bit be, just because of the scarcity of, of not having another player that is close to him. So in this draft, I think I had him going to the Raiders. Yeah, I had him going to the Raiders at 14, but there's a handful of teams. I think that could really use him. And when you factor in scarcity, it might, there might be a pretty big bidding war too. Like I look at the saints as well, New Orleans saints, they're picking at 19. They could be a team. If they're picking a little bit higher they they might move up for them and they might like them. So um, 
there's a lot of teams that are be gunning for uh, for for Johnny Newton. So it's been kind of interesting that there's been generally over the last few years a pretty big scarcity of high-end interior defensive line um, draft picks, and yet it doesn't seem to have created this like frenzy and bidding war and artificial inflation of the draft stock of the ones that do show up. Like teams seem to, for some reason, be relatively comfortable with, oh, this is just a bad year for defensive tackles, so we're not going to draft them high. Um, whereas right. I would have expected every time that happens to be like, oh, this is the one guy that looks like he's halfway good. He's getting pushed up into the top 10 because everyone right. needs one, right? We're, right? At some point, we need to start jumping on these guys. It isn't happening, which is slightly strange to me. Yeah, I, I, I think it'll happen this year with um... – with Newton, though, I think the teams are gonna teams are gonna really like him. Uh, another thing that I will point out is I ended this mock draft with five straight wide receivers. <laughs> I I gave the Baltimore Ravens A.D. Mitchell because Odell Beckham Jr. is on a one year deal. Rashad Bateman is not having the breakout performance that a lot of people hope that he would. And when you look at the rest of that receiving room, it's kind of like, all right, who do you have to build on moving forward? Basically, Zay Flowers and then Mark Andrews, their tight end. So I think that wide receiver could firmly be in the mix for them at 30. I think A.D. Mitchell is a bigger, taller, red zone threat type of a player. Makes a lot of sense. Kansas City Chiefs, I got him taking Jalen Polk from Washington. He's one of those guys who's on the end of a lot of great Michael Penix passes. Now, one of the listen, best contested catch what, players in, in the game. What, what number say? What number is Jalen Polk? I, I've only... So one wide receiver stood out to me while watching Michael Penix Jr. tape, and I have no idea who it is, but I know his number. So... He is number two. Yes, that's my guy. That's yeah. the receiver you want from yep. Washington. Yep. No, okay. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Rome is still very good, but I but Polk is playing his way into being a first round pick for sure. And I have him as a first round pick here in this mock. So mm -hmm. I think that he is he's been nuts this year and he deserves his recognition. So him on him getting to play with Patrick Mahomes, that would be pretty great. Eagles, I have them taking a Mecca Ibuka because right now, yes, of course, like AJ Brown and Devontae. Smith are are fantastic, but you can leave those two guys on the outside, and you can put Emeka Buka in the slot, and all of a sudden, to me, like that's probably the best wide receiver trio in the NFL. So keep your foot on the gas, make strength the strength even stronger. Second round, I have it them opening up with the Carolina Panthers getting Xavier Worthy is one of the fastest players in this class. You get that speed at this receiver position that they so desperately need for separation. And then speaking of speed, Cleveland Browns at fifty four, they move on from Donovan Peoples Jones, they replace him with Brian Thomas, who is along with Malik Neighbors, having a really, really productive year in that LSU offense is a deep threat kind of a guy. So ended this one with five straight wide receivers, and it's it kind of speaks to the wide receiver class of how talented this is and how much I want to talk about these guys and how many future NFL difference makers I really do see in this receiver class. Look, I don't know what your quote-unquote process is over there, Trev, but I've seen a couple of games of Michael Penix and – Polk was the receiver that stood out. Therefore, he's going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL. I, yeah. I feel no reason why that won't be perfect logic. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty solid. I don't think you need to watch anything else. Yeah, yeah really. I'm done. I mean, like that's just that's that's like your draft take for the year. Like radio shows will 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 Lock call you in. and have you on. You'll be like, they'll be like, what do you think about this pass rush class? You'll be like, yeah, 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 it's fine. Have you seen Polk from Washington? Right. Let me uh, let me bring this around to Polk yeah. for a minute. Right, I don't really care what you've asked me. Let's gonna we're gonna take the answer over here. It's like a politician, right? It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is going to be about this talking point that yes. I have pre-prepared. 
Yeah, no, it's it's and it's an art. It's why you're one of the best in the business. <laughs> I was so I was texting Steve about this over the weekend. A radio hit, right? What is so? Do you, I'll ask you a question that I'm not really interested in the answer to because I want to tell a story. But you can think okay. about your answer while I'm telling the story to see if you have one, right? What is okay. the worst thing that has happened to you whilst you're doing a radio hit in terms of like a technical breakdown or something that made it unnecessarily difficult from your perspective? Because I thought I had a winner, and then this weekend topped it. My winner previously was some radio station where there was something wrong with their system whereby my own voice fed back into my ear on a second delay, right? So I was hearing myself repeat in my own ear a second after I said anything, which is a really quick way, if that's never happened to you, to just fritz your brain out, right? You can't yes. handle hearing yourself repeat back on that kind of delay. So I was like, that's the worst that's ever happened. That was a nightmare. This weekend, I was doing a, uh, I a Zoom. That was the worst. I was doing like a Zoom radio thing. So I had mm-hmm. the Bluetooth earphones in, right? My Bluetooth headphones connect to both my phone and my computer. And during this Zoom hit, somebody called my phone, right? So suddenly my phone starts ringing in my ear as I'm talking to the computer. I, and I'm like answering a question while this is happening. Right. So I try and kill the phone call, which is fine. I, but, but what it really did is uh, evidently the Bluetooth headphones are not set up for this occurrence because it started off, it, it resumed automatic playing on any video that was on my screen at the time. Right. So I, I'm one of these people that exists with like a million tabs open at once, two or three of which were YouTube tabs. So the <laughs> phone goes off, I kill the phone call, and then three separate YouTube channels fire up at once whilst I'm trying to answer a question on the computer in front of me. And I'm like, I, I don't even know where to begin with how to fix this problem other than my, my brain is just imploding with the sensory overload that's taken place. You're just hammering X on like every Everything. tab at yeah. that point. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. kill, kill, just... kill, kill, kill. Eventually, I'll hit the one that's making the noise. Yeah, there have been some interesting. There have been some interesting radio hit circuses. I have a dog, so like, mm. of course, he'll be sleeping for you know three straight hours, and then the second that I get on a call, he's losing his mind at the Amazon person who's dropping something off at the front door. So like, that one's a that one's unfortunately a pretty common one. Tech, I'm trying to think of like a technical difficulty. The, the Echo one is the worst. That's bad. the Echo one is 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 really bad because yeah, there is nothing that gets you. There's nothing that commands more mental discipline than being on a radio call when you can hear your voice in an Echo. Right. Because you you have to try to not listen to it, <laughs> come up with actually words that make sense to string together sentences to not make you sound like an absolute idiot. So that's a bad one. I've had that one a couple of times. And then I've also, you know, like had radio calls that I thought were going to be 15 minutes because that's a radio segment and they end up being 40 yeah. minutes. And you're like, Those am I rough. on a pod here? Those like, are rough. Do y'all have no commercials? Does this, have, does this show have like no ads at all? Yeah. So, yeah, those are those are bad. Those, those are, are bad. bad. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed listening. Go check out Go Trev's. read the mop. 
Go read the mock. Check out Trev's mock. Uh, PFF.com. You'll find it. It's one of the top posts on there. Also, go to the uh, PFF mock draft tool and come up with your own one. See if it's better. And then message Mm -hmm. Trev and inform him that his sucks and yours is better. Let him know. Yeah, it's an easy way for me to block people. Yeah, no, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love all my, I, I love all mock draft submissions. This is uh, a dream job for me. So getting to talk about it all the time is is something that I really do love to do. Well, it's been a pleasure, good sir. Uh, I will be back tomorrow with PFF's own Steve Palazzolo, um, and we will talk to you then. Bye bye.